up early in the morning, dressed in black. Don't ask why, cause I'm down in a suit and tie. They killed the homie that I went to school with. Damn. I tell you, life ain't shit to fool with. Newspapers write a number of obituaries in advance to keep on file because when heads of state or movie stars or Nobel laureates die, there's no way to assemble what amounts to a substantive instant biography on a tight deadline. Jahan Jones knows all about that. He's a recent graduate of Arizona State University's journalism school, and in the year or so he's just spent working in New York as a page at NBC at the Today Show, he's given some thought to obituaries, not those of the rich and renowned, but of black people whose names would make news only if they were killed in encounters with police. So he began the Black Obituary Project, a web platform for African Americans to post their own obituaries as they'd imagine they might read if they did indeed die in an encounter with police. And Jones began the project by writing his own. A frame picture and a closed cast, a single file line about 50 cars long. What is the Black Obituary Project? So the Black Obituary Project is a collaborative project undertaken by a gamut of black people, and its intent is to convey the reality of state-sanctioned violence and also its residual impacts. And what we did was collect uh, pre-written obituaries from black people uh, with the intent being to show that police violence is indiscriminate. It affects all of us, young, old, and all between. Uh, And also... Secondly, it allots black people an opportunity to tell their own story. So often when African-Americans are killed by the police, their photos are posted about, but their stories are not shared uh, in a way that is humanizing. And so this gave black people a chance to share their stories, share their shortcomings in many cases, um, and tell their tales on their own terms. You study journalism at Arizona State University, so writing obituaries isn't something that's unfamiliar to you. About a year ago, I was toying with the idea of writing my own obituary and submitting it to as a freelance piece to, honestly, anyone who would take it. Uh, that piece never came to fruition. Uh, this year, in the wake of the Alton Sterling and Philando Castile shootings, I was driven to do it again. Uh, but I saw so many of my peers had uh, similar sentiments, and I thought it would be even more powerful to loop them in on a project like this. And so I fairly instantly began contacting people and seeing how open they would be uh, to the idea of writing their own obituary for the purposes of this project. I was really surprised, and, you know, we've encircled thus far about 140, 150 people, and we're looking to grow. When you first thought about writing your own, you weren't, I hope, writing it in anticipation of anything happening to you, but just to to send a big message to say, this is who I am and this is what my life would be summed up as if this happened to me. One of the things I also wanted to stress was that uh, for black people to conceive of our own death actually isn't too formidable of a task because... uh, there is the so-called talk black parents have with their children about ways uh, for uh, their children to avoid fatal conflict with the police. You know, they tell their children to stand up straight and keep their hands on the steering wheel and 
to make sure their pants are pulled up and to treat the officer respectfully. And so there's a, a checklist that black children are very familiar with. And they're only familiar with that checklist because they know that the repercussions of not adhering to it strictly uh, could be their death. And so I was able to con conceive of my own death fairly easily. Uh, that's not to say it wasn't emotionally taxing, but the actual task of putting pen to paper was easy. And I think uh, that's a sentiment shared by a number of other people in this project. You grew up in Arizona. Did your parents give you that talk to? And have you had any encounters with police that reinforced it for you? Absolutely. So my parents did give me that talk. I've had family members who have been harassed by police. And uh, personally, I can only speak of one specific incident, incident that was kind of off-putting, and that was just that I was running through the park once, and a police officer drove his car onto the sidewalk of the park, so he's driving on the grass. Mind you, I'm the only one in the only one running throughout this park, and he asked me who I am and what I'm doing there, and then he lets me go on my way, but I'd be lying if I didn't admit to the fact that as I was speaking to that man, all the things that my parents told me about my potential interactions with police and what I should do, uh, those things were going through my mind. And so there's this sort of terror that black people experience on many, in many cases when speaking with police because they know that their lives could be ended at any moment uh, for any reason. Of the people who've submitted their obituaries to you, what have they told you about why they're doing it? I'd say that there's been this sense of kinship among us. Uh, we realize that these are trying times and these are important times. And so I'd say the prevailing rationale that I've heard from people who've contributed has been that they just want to contribute their voice to a movement at this time. I'd say one of the things I was truly surprised about was how forthright uh, people were in writing their own obituaries. And that was my request, of course. What I was surprised about in reading these obituaries was that so many people were incredibly honest about their stories and the things they'd uh, yet to accomplish and their failures and their personal shortcomings. And so that was that was quite possibly the most enlightening aspect of this project, is just reading people's realities um, with blemishes included. What kind of blemishes did they talk about? Uh, a number of people spoke about being uh, their timidity, about how they uh, lived lives that were 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 safe to such an extent that they may have shorted themselves uh, tremendous opportunities and shorted themselves uh, incredible experiences. I had a number of people who considered themselves cowards, uh, and that's a direct quote. Um, and really, I, I invite people to read these obituaries in full because you really get the, the gamut of emotions. You see a number of people who are speaking triumphantly about all they've accomplished, and then you have other people who are speaking um, regretfully about all they weren't able to accomplish. Has any of them said to you that writing his or her obituary change their lives, at least change their thinking about themselves and their lives? I'd say a number of people, when they sent their obituary back to me, were thankful for the opportunity. The people who contributed 
Uh, this is their first time really doing so in a formal, on a, on a formal platform. I sent them a template, and they had to adhere to that uh, template, of course, but they also infused their own emotion, their own passions, and things of that sort into their stories. I'm Pat Morrison taking just a moment's break to remind you that the quality journalism we produce here at the Los Angeles Times, like this very podcast, only happens with the support of subscribers like you. If you're not already an LA Times subscriber, this is the perfect time to become one. As a listener to my podcast, you can get an eight-week trial subscription to the Times for free. It's a risk-free way to discover everything an LA Times digital subscription brings you, like unlimited access on your smartphone, your tablet, or your computer, to all of our great journalism and those delish extras, like Jonathan Gold's 101 Best Restaurants, which comes out this month. On top of that, you'll be doing your part to support our mission of quality journalism. So, to start, just go to latimes.com slash pat. That's latimes.com slash p-a-t-t. And now, back to the podcast. Part of the template is the lead, which it seems like everybody uses. So we read, Jahan Elliott Jones, 24, was unarmed when shot and killed in conflict with local police officers. Alicia Patrice Miles, 24, was unarmed when shot and killed in conflict with local police officers. And then at the end, we see... Alicia Miles was once a woman upon this earth, yet she is no longer. Dominic Joseph was once a man upon this earth, yet he is no longer. You went to journalism school, and you know that that's not the way necessarily a news obituary is going to be written. But this is about something else than just delivering the news. I consider this a convergence of my uh, journalistic interest and my artistic interest. Uh, I don't believe that you are necessarily mutually exclusive, and I've always believed that the finest journalists among us uh, take our realities, yes, and speak to them, uh, but they also contextualize them. But with regard to the uniform intro and outro, I felt as though the lead was, it was as devoid of opinion as possible. When they sent their obituaries back, a number of them had created different narratives. They said so-and-so was unarmed when shot and killed at a an anti-violence rally and police. You know, so they were building these stories, and I completely understand that because we have an urge to create this sort of uh, perfect victim. And I was trying to urge all the contributors not to do that because there are no perfect victims. And just because you're not a perfect human being doesn't mean that your life uh, is to be valued less. You know, we have about, uh, I've received about 150 uh, submissions. That number is almost reflective of the number of black people killed in this country thus far uh, this year. And so if all of these people were to pass in a day, uh, it would be considered a national tragedy. Uh but the fact that the, that number, whatever it may be, 197, and it may have grown since then, it has been spread out over the course of a year. We don't really treat it as such. And so this, the vastness of it, uh, really allows it to be more impactful. But take a look at this crowd. I mean, what you see here are young people. There's a, a mix of ethnicities here. Uh, this is a crowd that had sort of one goal in mind, and that was to spread a message of Black Lives Matter, but also of unity. In fact, if we look over here, 
there's a t-shirt with John Lennon's picture on it. Can't exactly read it, but it says give peace a chance. And that was one of the messages here. I was looking at some of the photographs on the webpage, and there are young people with cap and gown from graduation, young people with kids, uh, young people with clearly parents and grandparents. Um, Tell me a little bit about the range of these maybe 150 people who submitted their obituaries. Um, They come from so many different backgrounds. They have... They come from, uh, they espouse a number of different political affiliations. Uh, they range in ages. Um, you know, you, you, you discussed the photos, and that was something I kind of wrestled with, because initially I was going to have everyone just send in a sort of grainy selfie sort of photo. Uh, the best way to describe that is just the typical photo that you find when black people are killed by police it's usually this photo that seems to have been taken uh with a phone from 2008 and it's not typically in high resolution oftentimes they're and and this just comes from my journalistic experience sometimes when we're writing stories about people who were slain uh we don't have access to their personal facebook accounts and so we can only use the photos that are made available to us and those typically aren't the photos that are uh, present people in their their best light. I told them to send me the photo that they would like to serve as their lasting image. When you look at these photos once more, you see that these are these are photos that are near and dear to the people who wrote these obituaries. Did the people who wrote their own obituaries show them to their families? It's very possible that some of them shared with their families uh, what they'd written. That that considered, I, I didn't share with my family uh, that I was even working on this project until uh, the day I debuted the project. My parents were uh, excited about the project. They thought it was beautiful. But of course, they're forced to reconcile the uh, their appreciation for this project with the prospect that their son may be taken at any moment in time. The grievances I've heard from people who have been opposed to the project is that black people are supposedly speaking their own death into existence. I don't believe black people dying at the hands of the police uh, have died because of an inability to speak positivity into their lives. Uh, We're interested in creating our own narratives. We are unflinching in our criticisms of the nation as it is today. And we also realize that there are greater machinations at work that uh, pose impediments to black life. And so this project is just one of many uh, serving as an indictment of sorts. Who are those critics? I will say that it hasn't been exclusively uh, white people, which may be some people's uh, initial assumption. I concede that this project is discomforting, uh, but it's necessarily discomforting as far as I'm concerned because we're trying to be jarring. We're trying to show people that it's, it's very easy to see these stories on television, to see that someone has died, and to continue with your life if you don't know the person who has died. Abstaining from conversation about race and racism and uh, disproportionate police policing uh, is contributing to the very society that uh, so often uh, leads to the death of African Americans.
everyone finds a different way to express her voice or his voice, and some people turn out for Black Lives Matter rally. This seems to be the journalist in you saying, this is my contribution. Absolutely. And this is just the beginning. It's been humbling to be able to encircle so many of my, my peers and uh, co-workers in a project like this. This is going to exist forever. I'm never going to stop accepting these obituaries. When you know we've been nerving down before. When our pride was low, looking at the world like, where do we go? And we hate poor, poor, when they kill us dead in the street for sure. Well, Jahan Jones, congratulations and thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We're going to be all right. All right. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The audio clips are from Fox 11 in Los Angeles and from a YouTube amateur video of a Black Lives Matter rally in Mobile, Alabama. The music is Dead Homies by Ice Cube and All Right by Kendrick Lamar. I am Pat Morrison. I don't talk about it, be about it, every day I sequel. If I got it, then you know you got it, heaven I can reach you. Pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all. Pick back and chat, I trap them back for y'all. I rap, I black on tracks, so rest assured. My rights, my wrongs, I write till I'm right with God. When you know we've been hurt, been down before. When our pride was low, looking at the world like, where do we go? And we hate poor, poor, when they kill us dead in the street for sure. I'm at the preacher's door, my knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gon' be alright.